We touched down in a suspiciously quiet coast city. Green Lantern had been spending more and more time in space, apparently. Space and alternate universes. Without the Emerald Gladiator himself, we hit the streets looking for his usual contacts, wondering what world-building had happened since we last checked in. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. I can't tell you how excited I am today for so many firsts. Yes! There's a lot happening and I'm so excited about it. I didn't even realize this, but I'm wearing a Green Lantern shirt while we're recording this. And, uh, you know, it's just subliminally the universe wants me to, to just be as much of a fanboy as possible for my boy Hal and the uh, the core. And come to think of it, I'm actually wearing a... It's basically a Dark Side of the Moon uh, shirt, hmm. effectively. Uh, oh, so I like I've got, that shirt. I've got purple, I've got uh, blue, green, yellow, orange, and red. Orange is greed, that's right. Yes. Uh, we're not going to see the spectrum, but uh, I, I'm sure at some point you are going to pull in all of your Green Lantern knowledge uh, for discussion. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Uh, we're just going to, I mean, there's a lot actually to happen that, that's going on in these because these are full issues. These are the Green Lantern books now. He's out of Showcase. Remember, uh, last time we covered Green Lantern, we went from Showcase to Green Lantern number five. So we're actually starting with Green Lantern six through nine and in some of these uh full length issues we had two stories so there's actually quite a bit of content here and also quite a lot happens and oddly enough green lantern number six is in july august i don't know why we stopped at green lantern number five i think that was because that was with hector hammond and we wanted to stop on a bad guy and we were like okay bad guy we're gonna stop here which is a great place to pick up because we get some really great stuff next to these anyway and uh i I think it's we're gonna have a good time here. So Joanne, we're gonna we're just gonna just, just try picking up right here from Green Lantern number six, July August nineteen sixty one. On a distant planet, planet Zudar, X U D A R, uh, another Green Lantern uniformed space creature or being is uh, calling for assistance from our Green Lantern, which is Hal Jordan, test pilot at Ferris Aircraft, who discovered his Green Lantern ring from a dying alien who crash-landed on our planet named Abin Sewer and gifted him the ring, and he can do incredible things with that ring. Um, very complicated compared to, I, I'm Oliver Queen, and I crash-landed on an island, and I learned how to use a bow, and I'm rich. A lot, of, mm-hmm. lot, lot happening with the, the backstory of Green Lantern here. Uh, and so... The alien Tomar Ray, who is the alien in the Green Lantern uniform, calling for assistance, calls Hal to him and he says, Hey man, um, there's something going on on this planet that's in my sector that I've been monitoring for a while. I can't go deal with it because there's some aliens trying to invade Zudar. Can you go deal with this thing in my sector and then come back to me and report? And Hal's like, wow, another Green Lantern. This is dope. And absolutely, you parrot-faced fish man, I'm going to help you out. And it, uh, Yeah. And, there's no That's way else to describe Tomar Ray. He's got a he's got like a like an octopus or a parrot beak, and he's got a fish fin going down his face. And it's great, and he's he, one of the best. He I looks like a Silver Age cart- comic version of one of the robots from Mystery Science Theater. Yeah, he kind of does. Yeah, he looks he looks very much like the the woman the the gold one. Yeah, he does yeah, yeah. look like that guy. Um, it's great. And so Hal goes to this planet where uh, essentially the, the the race that lives there has put themselves into a suspended animation, hypersleep sort of thing. Because they're like, we figured out that if we do this, we live forever. Because that's what we want to do, I guess. 
and they've made these sort of mental energy projections of themselves that go about on the daily surface of the planet to do stuff. One has to wonder why they need to do that as they are living in a suspended animation state. I suspect it's to maintain those pods for them so that they can continue to live forever. Not really important. What is important, however, is that these phantom duplicates are now seeing how raw their deal is and are trying to decide of, of figure out a way to kill the people who are projecting them which would also be like doesn't that make you disappear but we're not going to question it because comics green lantern shows up and he realizes he can't affect these specters because technically they're like energy so his ring actually doesn't do anything to them and they can't do anything to him except they make a machine that essentially like increases his gravitation so he can't really like move and being the moderately quick thinker that Hal Jordan is, um, he decides, he's like, well, if they're made of pure energy, what if I make a Green Lantern made out of energy? So he makes a copy of himself out of pure energy with his own ring because it can, again, do literally anything. And that phantom duplicate of himself goes and fights the bad phantom duplicates, beats them, and then comes saves him. And then he tells the people who are in suspended animation, hey, I fixed the problem. You guys are solid. Don't worry about it. You're all good. And the people who are in suspended animation are talking to him through telepathy. And they're like, God, I wonder why this happened. We have to like really analyze our people here and see like who would have given the idea that like maybe they're not satisfied with how we're living. And that affected the phantom duplicates. And they find that there's two people who are in love that haven't gotten really to be together because they've been in the suspended animation. They just want to be with each other. So they agree to be let out by Hal to live their life on the planet. And everyone else is like, cool, we'll just stay in suspended animation. And that's the end <laughs> of that arc where he's like, cool, uh, two people wanted to leave. Everyone else wanted to stay. Everyone gets what they want. I'm going to go back to Tomar Ray on uh, Zudar and see what's going on. When he returns to Zudar, Tomar Ray is fighting off a very Hanna-Barbera looking oh, invasion yeah. of like super weird monsters that like have the bodies of like jack kirby monsters but like flintstone eyes where it's like giant white circles with big dark black pupils and it looks really cartoony and weird it's very reminiscent of how uh topo is yeah. like the only super cartoony part of aquaman stories yeah it's it's very strange uh, but these aliens are really big and they're trying to assault Zudar and take over Tomar Ray's hometown and both him and Hal clean house they knock them back into their ship I think I'm pretty sure they kill three of them there are a couple that I remember noting had probably been actually deadified and I and I I, I read this area specifically Tomar Ray kills one himself so that's a ding for Tomar Ray and then Hal and Tomar Ray team up on one and they kill it so that's two for Tomar Ray one for Hal I think this is the first time Hal's ever killed as well. I wonder. Because it, it feels like he's a little cavalier about killing, especially anything that is sort of monster-coded. And, and that's what we've been seeing with the Silver Ages. If it's an alien, a monster, or a robot, it's fair game for any of these heroes. Or um, a submarine. Or a submarine. <laughs> Thanks, Flash. <laughs> um, or Starro the Conqueror, I guess. Um, 
really at the end of the day zudar is saved hal and tomar kind of have like a recap and a debrief and tomar's like hey thanks so much for for coming to my aid i really appreciate it buddy and hal goes like hey so i kind of like vaguely remember that there are other green lanterns why do i vaguely remember that and he goes oh the guardians must have pulled an energy duplicate of you to oa to explain things to you um so that you needed you knew what you needed to do but like weren't given too much information too quickly. So I'm going to fill you in on who the Guardians of the Universe are. And he gives Hal a very brief, like the Guardians of the Universe have been around since forever. They made the Green Lantern Corps. We listened to them. They gave us missions. And Hal's like, oh, sweet, cool. Thanks, appreciate it, buddy. And he's like, yeah, no problem. Stop by any time. And now Hal has a co-worker. And that's kind of how the story ends is like Hal and Tomar Ray are like, cool, we're buddies now. Thanks so much, man. And then they they part ways. <laughs> it's And now you have Hal physically consciously remembering oa despite the weird like fever dream that he had a couple issues back and he now knows that he's not alone which is i think really cool for him uh we're gonna then move on to green lantern number seven july august 1961 this is the first appearance of one of the major villains in all of dc like it was a big deal when Brainiac showed up. It was a big deal when Luthor showed up. It was a big deal when the Joker showed up. This is a big deal right now, too. Mm-hmm. Hal is telepathically informed by the Guardians of the Universe that an escaped villain is going to cause problems for him. And they explain to him, this villain used to be a Green Lantern. In fact, he was a really good Green Lantern until he decided that, like, being a tyrannical despot is probably the best way to keep his sector in control and away from harm. So this Green Lantern is Thal Sinestro, and they don't really give you his first name. That's just something I know off the top of my head because I have a problem that no doctor has been able to diagnose. (laughs) And Sinestro is essentially this kind of like, he looks very humanoid, but he has kind of a large thin head that kind of is a little bulbous at the top, which is a very iconic look for him. They've kind of humanoided him out in recent years, but they to make him look a little alien, but not so much. Um, but it is a very iconic look of this guy who's almost got like a light bulb head. Um, mm. He's got like very reddish, ruddy skin. He's got a weird sort of like black and blue elf outfit on. It's, it's kind of goofy looking, but this is a very iconic Green Lantern villain. Uh, Sinestro has been banished to the anti- antimatter dimension of Quard, which we have discussed at length in the previous episodes of Green Lantern. But Quard is just... A planet full of guys who dislike Green Lantern because he keeps fucking their shit up. Um, they make weapons primarily. They are a warlike race and they live in an antimatter dimension that is parallel to ours. And you can travel to it if you just do dimension hopping. But these bad guys are like, hey, uh, Sinestro, what's going on? You got banished here by the Guardians of the Universe? He goes, yeah, and I'll tell you what. If you guys give me a weapon, I'll defeat your arch nemesis Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, for you to show you how bad I, I really am. And then you'll give me shit. And they're like, weird flex, but okay. But like, let's see what you got, buddy. And sure enough, Sinestro kind of develops a, a weapon that makes people disappear and teleports them to Quard. And he's like, now he has to come here. Once he realizes that they've been teleported away, Green Lantern will have to come to our dimension. He'll be on your home turf and then you can destroy him. And the Quardians are like, this is great. This is why I don't know why we didn't think of this before. Probably because we're not protagonists or antagonists. We're just bad guys. The plan works. Green Lantern travels to Quard. And he kind of faces off with Sinestro, and Sinestro's like, this is perfect, I'm a genius, you're you're powerless, I'm going to put you in a s- situation wherein essentially your ring, it will be out of charge, so you can't defeat us. 
um, and then you won't be able to get back. So you either have to defeat us and you can't get back to your home planet where your battery is or you bail and we win. And Hal, being the smart guy that he is, marginally enough, finds the clock that they're using, which works off of normal human clock properties and principles, thank God. Um, in an antimatter dimension with aliens, it works the exact same way, two hands and an hour face. Um, yep. <laughs> he, he speeds up the hands so that it looks like the, the hour has passed where his, his power battery is done. And Sinestro's like, perfect, let's go beat the crap out of him. And he goes, surprise, bitches, my ring still works, and beats them all up and suspends Sinestro in a ball made out of pure energy from the ring. And he goes, like, it'll take you a while to figure out how to get out of that, sucker. I'm going to take everybody back. Does so, saves the day, and Sinestro is presumably trapped within the antimatter dimension of Quard. And and Hal is like, okay, big bad guy. <laughs> got to keep an eye on that. <laughs> um so now he's got a terrestrial Lex Luthery type villain in Hector Hammond, and he's got a galactic brainiac level villain in Sinestro, which is kind of neat. Uh, the second story in Green Lantern number seven, uh, Thomas, Hal's uh, grease monkey kind of a guy who mechanic who works on his planes at Ferris Aircraft, um, gets accidentally turned into a seagull because Hal's ring <laughs> likes to sleep power it's so good. wield. It's so it's good. So, you would think that after the millennia that the Guardians of the Universe have been around, they would have made a failsafe for dream projecting with your ring. Apparently not. But Thomas is turned into a seagull on the day his girlfriend or fiance Turga is supposed to arrive from their village. Uh, as a reminder, Thomas is Inuit. Um, so it's a big deal that she's coming here over a plane and he's like, I got to meet her at the airport. And of course now he's a seagull. So that plane's kind of fouled up. Um, and <laughs> tell me you meant to do fouled. I kind of did. Yeah. So, well done. um, yeah, no, it was good. Uh, so Hal is like, oh yeah, uh, Thomas's girl's coming into town. I, I have so much to meet her. Thomas isn't here. So Hal being the nice guy drives to the airport to go pick up Turga just to make sure that she's okay. And, uh, of course, some ridiculous happenstance serendipity toughs try to hijack the plane that Turga refuses to get off of because she's like, I won't leave until I see Thomas because she doesn't speak the language very well and she wants to see a familiar face. Hal tries to help her off the plane. These guys try to hijack it. As Green Lantern, he stops them. The plane lands and the seagull, Thomas, is at the airstrip and constantly trying to, like, peck at Turga in a way that would suggest, I guess, that he's trying to kiss her. And Hal is like, that seagull looks like it's trying to kiss Turga. I wonder where Thomas is. Oh, wait, have I turned him into a seagull accidentally? Let me just fix that. And straight up... <laughs> Control-Z, Control-Z. Yeah, Control-Z. Um, he turns Thomas back into normal, and Thomas is like, thanks, buddy. And then uh, the, him and Hal and Turga and Carol go on a nice uh, double date. And that's the end of that story. And a very wholesome, like, oh, Thomas has a girlfriend. And even Carol and Hal seem to be having a nice night. So that's kind of a good win-win for everyone out of seagulls, which is not normally a, a sentence that happens. Uh, Green Lantern number 8, October 1961. Hal is brought into the future by a group of individuals who essentially are like, uh, let's say the president's cabinet from the future. Uh, I kind of get the feel that they're like the the United Nations Security Council. It, it sure. seems like they're sort of representatives of different future 
planetary states bodies. I would say planetary, except they all look human-like, and then we see what also other aliens look like later in Green Lantern comics. I think these are specifically hyper-evolved humans. So, yes, uh, but there's a uh, there was a narration box talking about uh, how because humans have been on other planets for so long they've adapted to those situations fair enough so you are correct um yeah so it's just a bunch of it's like a parliament of weird human men in the future and they're like hey we are having a problem with these what are essentially just giant gila monsters um that shoot laser beams out of their eyes that we can't beat and let's look back in our history and find the greatest hero on the face of planet earth not superman no not wonder woman not uh martian man a green lantern that's one there yeah that one is clearly earth specific we haven't seen any other green lanterns across the universe throughout the history of space and time yep green lantern that's the one so they pick green lantern and as they teleport him into the future they're like it's gonna scramble his brain so we got to come up with a cover story where he thinks he's been space president for a while so uh secretary you're his girlfriend because clearly a superhero would have a girlfriend and he's just been out rambling around space. That's it. That's what we're going to go with. It's foolproof. Everyone on board with the plan. Secretary, you have some misgivings about being a romantic interest for an individual you've never met. Not really a problem for us because it's the 1960s and we're men. And uh, we don't really care about you. Problematic to say the least. But yeah. as Hal comes to the future, he's like, all right, let me fight these Gila monster creatures that are seemingly destroying humans across Earth. And what it turns out is that their laser beam eyes are just shrinking people, like minuscule And it's it's not deadly so much as a giant inconvenience. And Hal finds a way to, like, stop their powers from working and drive them back into the, the Warrens that they have and, you know, fixes everything. And everybody's okay. And they're like, all right, thanks, Space President guy. Uh, why don't you take a nap? It's been a long day. Because this all happens in a day. <laughs> Because they're like, we got to do this quickly. Which is important because... Yeah. We got to is... do this quickly because his ring will run out of juice. Yep. Which I don't think they ever like mentioned in the story. So it's not really clear whether the, it, it, yeah. like, the future folks actually knew that. They which do would at actually the end. be an interesting little story beat if, if it was a situation where like he runs out of juice and is like... Uh, Why do I have this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think they do at the end go like, we have to send him back. His ring is going to run out of juice. I think okay. that's the reason that they like push him. Um, and Hal is sent back into the past with just enough uh, power left in his ring to stop a giant uh, gold plated yellow sea monster from destroying a submarine. By blowing it the fuck up. Yeah, man. Melting it specifically. Hal Jordan, no half measures. Nope. <laughs> um, I didn't really count that one as a ding because that's a straight up monster monster. Yeah, I mean... No question there, but it was like the other bit that I'll call out there that really struck me was that he is using Aqua Regia. uh, I'm sure mispronouncing that uh, against a giant gold monster. And we see the monster in like pieces like it's it's unraveling in a way that's like like, you know, one of those poppers that you pull apart and there are like the streamers in there. It's it's like streamers coming apart. So it doesn't feel like something's being destroyed in the tra- in a normal way but it definitely you see that monster in bits yeah it's it's dissolved um i i feel like there's a level at which we have to discuss like what is a sentient creature and what isn't and i think something that is like the thing that was happening on zudar with tomar ray and how those those monsters quote unquote had spaceships 
Mm-hmm. There's a level of sentience there that is that is required to navigate and develop spacefaring craft that I will give like, yeah, sure, there are giant aliens and giant monsters, but if they have some form of intelligent communication and or means of transportation that is beyond just flying without assistance, I give them a level of sentience that makes them have thought and reasoning versus what is effectively a kaiju. So what I'd say with that is it feels like the sci-fi stories of the 60s are making a distinction between humanoid aliens and like uh, Martian tripods uh, from yeah. one of the worlds. Moving on to Green Lantern number nine, November, December 1961. The return of Sinestro, because obviously he comes back. Uh, Sinestro had developed off camera and before issue seven happened. Um, a secondary ring that the Quardians gave him. And this ring draws power from Green Lantern energy rings. So while Sinestro is in that, that force bubble that Hal Jordan made for him, he uses his ring, which happens to be yellow, to pull the energy from that force bubble into his ring and give him power to break it. And he goes, all right, that didn't work out the way that I wanted it to. <laughs> now that I've got my ring, though, I think I have a secondary plan. So he essentially tricks Hal into a situation where he can assume Hal's identity. He, he traps Hal in a yellow cage of energy, which, of course, Hal can't affect because uh, the Green Lantern rings can't affect yellow due to an impurity within the batteries. So Hal is trapped in this yellow cage. Sinestro is like, cool, sweet. I'm going to make myself look like you with my ring. Awesome. And then I'm going to go to this meeting of Green Lanterns that you're supposed to be at. And then I'm going to make them kind of screwed up and, you know, occupied. Well, then I go to Oa and I blow the hell out of Oa. And, and I destroy love, the Guardians. I love his plan for how he does this. Uh, he makes an illusion, suckers everyone into attacking it at once, because it's all the Green Lanterns. As, and, as many as we see, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And absorbs a bunch of all of the, like, strikes power through the illusion so that he juices up his ring. I love it. It's awesome. Oh, it's a very clever plan. And Sinestro is no slouch, man. He mm-hmm. is, he's very, he's a very good villain. And I think that's probably why he's one of my favorites in gl lore is because he's not a, he's not a dumb dude um and i'm just flipping to the page here where we have all the different green lanterns so we have uh one two three four five six about six green lanterns maybe seven or eight but we have uh these specifically pointed out to us now there's one that is a like basically a grasshopper and it's the green lantern of zaus a world where insects rule and where the human race is unknown Green Lantern of Barrio 3, which is uh, like a, a living being made out of hail, like a geode sort of looking guy mm-hmm. uh, with a mohawk, which is kind of awesome. A planet of crystal life forms, ultra sensitive with 13 senses instead of the usual six that humans have. Green Lantern of Rogira, kind of got a similar body size to Sinestro with head shape. Um, one of the most advanced, aged, and super scientific civilizations. Green Lantern of T. For 1A, where the life has culminated in a shape altogether different from humankind. And he kind of looks, or they kind of look like a uh, like an amoeba sort of a creature. It's kind of cool looking. And then you have the Green Lantern of Eros, a water world inhabited by various forms of fish life, where this character looks like the creature from the Black Lagoon, but with like a little bubble of water around their head. Um, so we're like getting some really bizarre sort of different alien type designs that we haven't really seen in a long time. Not probably since the Challengers of the Unknown. And uh, 
really digging it. And so all mm-hmm. these lanterns, like uh, Matt said, use their rings against this illusion that Sinestro has created. Their rings get drained of power. They cannot stop him as he now flies to Oa. Meanwhile, back at Ferris Aircraft, Hal has kind of racked his brain. Again, I keep making jokes about Hal being the semi-clever guy that he is. Hal is smart, but he's not like a military tactician and not smart in the way that Batman is. Hal's got enough intelligence to fly planes and be an experimental test pilot. Very smart in physics, very smart in problem solving. Not terribly smart in reading people how to deal with certain things. That's kind of his charm. He's he's a blunt instrument. So Hal's like, hmm, I can't get out of this yellow cage. What if I take my costume off? Because he definitely said this cage inhibits you, Green Lantern, from getting out. So what if I'm just in like my underwear and I'm Hal Jordan? So he straight up takes all of his costume off, which is the first time we ever see that the costume is not something made by the ring. It is an actual costume that he's wearing. So he just takes the costume off and he's able to get out of the bars of the cage. Goes over to his battery, charges his ring, gets his costume back on, and then flies to the meeting like he's supposed to. Realizes that everybody's been kind of like bamboozled, goes straight to Oa, and faces off with Sinestro. Meanwhile, the other guardians show up, or rather the other lanterns show up, and they're like, we got your back, buddy. And they all kind of stop Sinestro together. The guardians are like, wow, this was really unexpected and strange. Um, We're going to put Sinestro in (laughs) like a lime popsicle sort of a prison, and we're just going to shunt him off into space. Where he will float for eternity. Because that's an effective way of dealing with bad guys. <laughs> and Sinestro's gone. And that's kind of the end of that story. And Hal has now been to Oa officially for the first time. And he meets the Guardians of the Universe. And he meets all these other Green Lanterns who are like, Welcome Green Lantern, you're our co-worker. And Sinestro has also constantly been referring to Hal as his former co-worker or ex-colleague or ex-comrade. Which is very interesting, I think. And it's just something, a, a little bit of a... It's a nod to the fact that there is a shared history between the two of them, if anything, by organization, which will then change when Hal's backstory gets retconned into the future as being trained by Sinestro. So it's going to be a thing that they kind of toy with later. Um, the, the last story we're going to cover in Green Lantern number nine is uh, we meet the rest of Hal's family. Hal has two brothers, uh, Jim and Jack Jordan. Uh Jim is the youngest brother, and Jack is the oldest brother, and Jack is actually a politician. Jack is running for uh, district attorney, and he's concerned that, you know, things are going to be weird in this race. He's running against a guy who's kind of crooked, and Jim is running publicity for him, and Hal is kind of the guy who helps him, like, helps Jack in uh, consultation and, like, war tactics for politics. Jim, meanwhile, is meeting with this reporter, Sue Williams, who thinks that Jim is actually the Green Lantern. Because it can't be Hal, the pilot, and it can't be Jack, the politician. Clearly, it must be the one that we all least expect. The one who's, like, super uncomfortable with himself and, like, really goofy. It's gotta be an act. So she spends the entire issue trying to get Jim to reveal that he's Green Lantern. Meanwhile, Hal, doing odd jobs for his brother as Green Lantern, sees this and saves the woman continuously. Which makes her think that Jim is indeed Green Lantern. Um, Up until, like, she's still onto it, the idea, but is continually... Uh, thwarted and thinks that Jim is a lot more clever than he really believes and Jim has no idea what's going on Uh, meanwhile Jack is abducted by some like movie obsessed bad guys who keep making references to old gangster movies which I think was like super charming Um, they're like hey man this is just like them old gangster movies 
and they keep making fun of Jack for not playing along with his role in the idea that like he's the guy who's going to get offed. He should be saying all the things that he's supposed to say and he's not acting the way that he is. And the Green Lantern shows up and foils it. And they're like, this wasn't in the movie. And Hal Jordan's like, I don't know what the hell you guys are talking about, but you're going to jail. <laughs> it's it's an entirely unnecessary but thoroughly enjoyable piece of characterization. Yeah. They're, they're not just standard mafia toughs. They have like interesting banter where, where like, you know, Jack is like, you're never going to get away with this. And one of them goes, hey, that's just what the guy says in the movie. And he goes, yeah, he's really playing into his part. It's like really <laughs> funny. <laughs> Like, it genuinely got a laugh out of me. And then um, Jack wins the race for district attorney. And all's well that ends well. That is the last story that we're covering. A lot happened. A <laughs> um, lot of interesting little bits, obviously, of the lore of Green Lantern. We Again, we went to this really in-depth, kind of like we did with Adam um, and Aquaman a little bit. Um, purely because these stories have more detail to them. The Aquaman stories are a little bit more like problem solve problem same thing with the wonder woman stories it's like the, it's very formulaic these are the first like really big narrative heavy comics that we've seen in a while you know superman kind of had these challenges of the, of the unknown had these um i think in a, in a different way because i think they were a little bit more like action adventure and you had to kind of do the setups for these things um but the Adam, I feel like, was very similar to these. So, so were the Hawk stories. It was like trial and error and story and plot and following through and then finding the solution. And then, you know, the culmination of it all and they win. Um, it's it, I really like these. I mean, they're not like, oh, my God, the best comics I've ever read. But I'm like, this is such a different pace and type of story from like Green Arrow, where we were like struggling to find something to say about it. Same thing with Martian Manhunter or like the Elongated Man stories. Um Lots of just world building. Hey, yeah. there's more aliens. Hey, you and this other guy are like friends now. And now you know about the Guardians of the Universe. Like, Hal's cast is growing continuously. Now he's got, like, an arch nemesis. Now he knows that he's going to different planets. Hal has, like, a mission statement to stop the bad guy. Now he's got bad guys teaming up against him. The Quardians and Sinestro are, are against him now. It's, it's really interesting to see this level of cohesion within the world mm-hmm. just like the hawks and adam strange yep. it's it's really cool to see something that's just a little bit more advanced mm-hmm. than what we've been reading man i could go into a lot with green lantern lore as it is one of my favorite franchises um but it i think it would just only serve to confuse because there's so much and it gets really convoluted very quickly um I hesitate to really get into it, um, mainly because the, the nature of the podcast is to kind of give all this information in bite-sized chunks that are digestible for those who don't know the history. And if I jump into the history, it, it's a disservice to the listener. However, what I will say is, again, like I said before, Sinestro's a big deal. This is a Injustice League sort of a, a guy. He he He's responsible for... DC cross company events. He constantly is in the foreground of like the most prominent villains in all of the DC universe. It is, it's really funny to see this 1960s sort of cardboard cutout version of him that will eventually turn into what is possibly one of the scarier villains. Not because he's, like, scary in and of himself, but the fact that he is 
a successful villain. Sinestro will grow into a guy who accomplishes goals that the heroes don't necessarily know that they're fighting against. And I think the idea, like like you pointed out specifically, how clever he was to get the Green Lanterns to expend their energy on, a, on an illusion that he could then draw power from. Obviously, this isn't the writers going that route right now. It's not John Broom, who is the current writer, and Gil Kane is the artist. Um, John Broom isn't saying, Sinestro's super clever. What he's saying is, this is a smart bad guy. He's smarter than a lot of people. And he's also capable, which I think sets that character up to evolve into a calculating, imperious, credible villain. Like he was able to become a dictator on his own world, which they build up more and more through the comics as well. As like it wasn't just like, oh, I made a fortress and you all have to listen to me. It was for a while. But he was president of the world in his sector for his home world. And was successful was he oppressive absolutely was he bad for the people absolutely did he do his job you're damn right and that's sinestro's kind of mo in the future as a villain i'm the worst but i'm right and i think that that's what makes him a scary and compelling villain and we're much like roy being treated in the Green Arrow comics as an equal who's just younger, which will then later set the writers up to kind of play with that mentality and change him into being what he will be eventually in the comics. We're kind of seeing Sinestro being put up as a very smart villain who's going to be a problem. And that is something that I think the, the writers would play with, just like with Lex Luthor. You know, he's in jail and he's inventing things and we see him being like petty and egotistical and, you know, focused on Superman that's going to turn him into that like Gordon Gecko-esque man made of money evil Bruce Wayne character that we'll see in the future but right now he's just a mad scientist and they're just going to be like what if we do this with him and I think we're kind of seeing that with Sinestro is like I can see the little building blocks that another writer would be like what if I like took that and I use that as reference to to justify making him really scary and I want to tag on to that a little bit because I hit on the exact same point uh, that John Broom and Gil Kane are not intentionally like laying the groundwork for what he's going to be in the future, but intentionally or not, it is happening. Like the two bits that came to me most were that he is using the phrase evil. Like he is saying, I am evil. Uh, like you, you have to be more evil. Uh, and that really feels like the the bit that we see later where he is intentionally playing the antagonist for the core. Yeah. Uh, he is the one who is pushing the core to be stronger and ultimately to be willing to kill because he is the, the opposing force. He is the antagonist that makes the protagonists better, uh, and he is embracing that role. Uh, the other bit is again, with about the bit of the core should be willing to kill, uh, which is much more of an, a thing later on. Uh, he gives the speech. Like, there's a bit where Hal has him, like, pinned against the wall. Like, he's basically got, like, green, like, light shard daggers uh, pinning him against the wall, like, through his clothes, that kind of thing. And he gives Hal a speech about how his unwillingness to kill makes him weak. 
Yeah. And it's like, you know, at this point, it's just whatever, like the supervillain being a little bit braggadocious. But it works so perfectly as a beta version of what we see in the future that, God, so much credit to the people who have reinvented these characters later on that they make it seem intentional. Yeah. It it is very much like, oh, wow, that's a seed. It's very interesting. And... One thing that I've never appreciated before, and it might be another uh, the bandit, not the bird situation. I think Sinistro is originally set up as a Satan character. Like, yeah, he's a fallen angel. He like he's called out as having like a Satan like uh, appearance. Uh, He is intentionally embracing the role of antagonist. There are just bits and pieces that I kind of look at now and I'm like, oh, oh, I wonder if that was intentional. Uh, but the second bit is this doesn't stick around long enough for me to think it's intentional, but I love the feel of it. The fact that at the start of all of this and for a little while after, Hal doesn't know about the other Green Lanterns. The core is either it's something that's special for him or the core is organized in such a way that it's more like cells or individual uh, cops who only report back to the central authority. And I love that that kind of organization would have made it hard for someone like Sinestro to turn people. It fits so organically with the idea that later on Sinestro is going to be leading a rebellion effectively. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I I definitely do see the, 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 uh, allegory that you're calling out though as the fallen angel character the satan character where he is you know tempting and 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 challenging and putting the lantern core through trials as this uh antithesis you know not so much an antichrist but everything we're against the perversion of power the the idea that might makes right you know the he is everything the lanterns are protecting everyone from by example it's so refreshing to be enthusiastic about oh, yeah. stories and characters. Oh, it's great. I was, oh man, I'm so excited that like we're getting to things like this. I yeah. mean, it's always fun to see shit like Star of the Conqueror because that's a mm-hmm. landmark in DC continuity. But seeing like the Guardians of the Universe are a big deal in DC lore and they will become a big deal as will Ran and Thanagar. We didn't really talk about that, but there's a big amount of story that Ran and Thanagar are involved in much later in DC lore as well. Not that Lex Luthor or Brainiac or the Joker aren't big deals. It's that they're not galactic threats. And we're episodes away from covering flash of two worlds that introduces the multiverse yeah yeah next episode is the, is the flash of two worlds and i mean the rest of those characters are gonna get involved with with um like you know superman batman uh wonder woman they're gonna get their universe spanning threats in justice league and i also want to call out that one of the big differentiators between sinestro and say Brainiac, uh, is that right now, Brainiac and Brainiac's even written more seriously than most of the Superman villains are, but like Sinestro is in a comic 
where A, the writers are crafting stories that let him be smart. It's not just, oh, some bullshit gimmick. It feels intelligent. Uh, They're writing stories that are well-crafted in that way. And B, the tone is more serious and less playful. Yeah. Uh, Green Lantern's comics right now are kind of the perfect storm of the primordial soup for good villains. Actually, one step forward of primordial soup because a lot of these comics have the ingredients, but this is like the perfect biome for those characters to start developing and evolving. Uh, This is the greenhouse. This is the right greenhouse for characters that are going to be those big characters. Along those lines, like, I just want to reiterate a point that I made in there. Like, these are comics that are clever because they are not the first thing I think of. A lot of the stories that we have gone through, like, we've sort of called out, well, okay, this is... This is the a gimmick story. This is a story where, okay, yeah, he's using the sawfish again as saws. And it those Aquaman stories are cool, not because they're the most creative, but they're a little bit creative and they're using cool fish. Here, it really is smarter. Uh, yeah. It is internally consistent and logical puzzle solving. It is more missed than it is Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Also, we've had a shift away from straight-up romance comic. The second, yeah. like, Hector Hammond hit, Carol, like, these last four issues, Carol was just there to be a reminder that Hal has something going on on Earth. Mm-hmm. The only romantic thing we ever really saw was Turga and Thomas. And, of course, Hal, when he comes back from Earth, I think in the first, uh, in uh, number six, after being with Tomar Ray, um he's at a date with Carol and she's like, you, you ditched me last night. So I went and I hung out with a uh, green lantern and he's like, Oh, Oh, she's trying to make me jealous by making up a lie. Okay. There's still something here. And that was it. That was all we got. And that is one of the, one of the downsides to the space focus. Uh, I think we were already moving away from like the really awesome romance comic stylings that we saw in the first couple issues. But because we start having that focus on the lore, on the space, there really isn't much down to earth time. Uh, I mean, how much time does he spend as Hal? Yeah, very, very little. Mm-hmm. I mean, the most he did was when he was helping Turga. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's also very interesting, too, because the amount of time he's in space, I'm like, I want to see him team up with Adam Strange. Yeah. I want to see him like with the Hawks and just having these moments of like really cool space adventures with other characters that we see in space. Like the the possibilities now, like, I mean, we had those with Superman before, but Superman stories always felt so specific to Superman. The idea that Hal goes and meets other people who aren't him, like the other Green Lanterns, it opens up more for it to not just be about him. And Superman goes into space, he's in space doing a thing, and it's about Superman. When Hal goes into space, it's like, who's he going to help this time? You know, what? It's, it's more Star Trek than Flash Gordon. The worlds are cool. Like, we have a world where people are basically plugged into the Matrix and live in suspended animation while they're 
not quite digital avatars are walking around and living life. It's yeah, I like these worlds. I and, like and the other lanterns places. are diverse. One's a bug. One's an amoeba thing. Mm-hmm. This one looks like a fish person. It's like I want to see what those planets look like, and and how could how could just go there? Like he went to Zudar and he saw Tomar Ray, and he was like, "Yeah, this doesn't concern me at all." You're totally different than I've ever seen. You have three fingers and you've got like feet. I don't know what's going on, but like, I'm not phased by this. And I'm like, that's awesome that him and Tomar Ray are like, no, we're buddies now. We're best friends. I like that how I know it's I know it's a narrative convention because they don't they can't spend too much time with him being flabbergasted by life from other planets because no character does that. But I like the idea that it reads more natural with Hal. Hal seems less perturbed by it because it's his job. Superman would be like, my, what a fascinating creature. The challenger of the, of the unknown should be like, what the hell is that? What in the <laughs> hell is that? And Hal's just like, no, I get it. It's cool. Yeah, you're an alien. I'm up to speed. What do I have to do? Oh, you're a Green Lantern too? Dope. We're friends now. Like, I like the idea that Hal is just open to all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. I was so happy reading these. Uh Backtracking slightly, uh, just one thing that we talked about with uh, the early Green Lantern comics from the previous episode, feeling like romance comics, uh, we also called out that a lot of those panels were very intimate. I think we might have done the same with one of the other comics, and I don't remember what, but uh, a lot of close-up shots where the camera really is like focusing on face reaction uh or like seeing the fist sort of focused here we don't have that like the camera is a ways away from especially from how a lot of shots are full body uh it's it makes me sad i honestly was not hugely impressed with the art in any of these it wasn't bad by any means but it there's none of the intimacy there's nothing stirring yeah it's it's what you expect from a dc comic it doesn't really have its own style. It's not doing anything uh, spectacular, but it's action comics, not romance. It's not intimate. I'm I'm actually going to disagree a little bit about it being action focused, uh, and I'm going to segue from there right into my next little bit. There is so much time spent explaining, and that just kind of further leans into the coolness of the worlds, like. They're, one of the stories had 10 pages of backstory leading up to, and now you're here and you can help us. And I didn't mind in the slightest because it was like, holy crap, here's this cool world. I think it was the one where Tomar Ray brings him in and he helps out with the uh, digital avatars and the hibernation folks. It is so much setup, but I'm totally okay with it because it's like, here is lore, here is this other Green Lantern, here is this cool new world, uh, and... Here is the situation where he is immediately grounded by this cool weapon. It's like there is so much time that if this were a world's finest comic or even a Hawkman comic, uh, I would be like, your pacing is all wrong. But because it is creating these interesting worlds and we know that they are part of a world that's being built, it works. And I love it. You know what it is? It's the pacing version of the Aquaman versus Martian Manhunter Mm. thing that we've talked about recently, where they're not necessarily that much more creative of gimmicks and power usages, but it's just better in Aquaman because it's these 
cool uh, fishes and such that are being used. It looks cooler. It feels cooler. Here, it's the same kind of deal uh, in that it's just cooler, and that justifies yeah. the slower pacing. Two last little small bits, and then one bigger one that I want to get into. My favorite panel this week is probably Thomas as a sad bird under a blanket because he just looks dejected and it's like exactly how you'd imagine a bird not being able to fit properly under a blanket and just like pulling it over his head and just you can imagine him doing it trying to keep the rain (laughs) off his head. I'm glad of how this comic is treating Thomas and Turga right now. Yeah. It's a little bit interesting because there are so many superficial things and I want to call this out because... We, we call out when these comics get things wrong with regards to uh, social justice, uh, ethnic diversity, etc. But here we're going to call out, I think it does pretty solidly because on the surface, Thomas and Turga are, have a lot of surface level characteristics that would be associated with negative uh, racial portrayals. Uh, Thomas is notably shorter and than uh green lantern and there are some panels where green lantern is standing over him in a way that is kind of parental but then there are also a bunch of panels where it's just no they're just there is a height differential and that's it turga is she has poor english and she refuses to get off the plane because she doesn't see uh thomas there it could be read as an quote-unquote uncivilized native not getting technology not uh, being reasonable, but the story just frames it as her. She doesn't have the language, and there's not no judgment around that. And she, her refusing to get off the plane, is framed as loyalty to Thomas. Just like, no, I'm not going to be pushed anywhere until I know that the person I'm waiting for is here. Yeah, because that's not safe for her to leave if she doesn't see him. Because what if she gets stranded? Yeah, that and that honestly, like the word it uses is loyalty. So, I. I mean, it, it's a, a, it feels yeah. a little bit of a logical jump, but whatever. If that's how they, if that's how the comic, uh, the writers at that time are framing it as here is this positive quality. Maybe she's like, if I get out there, like he's going to come here and he's going to be sad because he can't see me. I don't have a cell phone, so it's not like he can call me. Whatever. If they're choosing to frame it as loyalty instead of some weird wacky hijinks, I'm just super glad about that. Yeah, I mean, loyalty is a bit of a patriarchal term because it means that she. Is being loyal to her man yeah. and i kind of wish it wasn't that way i mean i would have preferred he was just like she's a smart girl and she knows that she shouldn't get lost in a country where she doesn't speak the language <laughs> and that makes yeah. sense to me. <laughs> and to be fair hal doesn't treat her lesser for it yes like when he 100%. sees her he's like oh she's 100%. smart she hasn't gotten off the plane yet and he's going to go help her like hal never says anything weird carol never says anything weird they're just like oh look they're so happy that's mm-hmm. all they ever say about the couple is just like Hal's like, oh, I'm so glad that we were able to get her. Look at how t- happy Thomas is. And Carol's like, she's so in love with him. Look how cute they are. Like, mm-hmm. it's a positive portrayal of this relationship that isn't meant to be demeaning. It's just like, oh, Thomas has something really sweet in his life. Yep. One other thing that happy isn't the right word on this one. It just kind of kept blowing my mind. Uh, so this is an art one. And I'm going to preface this by saying that both John and I are writers, first and foremost. Uh, yeah. John more so than me, because John is actually published. Uh, but both of us think in terms of words. Uh, so when I say that this next bit is going to be about uh, colors and tones and printing processes, understand I'm getting a little out of my depth. But specifically, 
in the past, I've called out for, I think, Green Lantern and Flash, how much I liked that the inking was like really flat colors. It was bold. It was striking because it was more of fill and less of dot kind of. And as a result, the colors really popped. And I recently realized that the reason that I was seeing it that way was because the stories that I was reading were from reprints where they had remastered the colors to take out the the kind of the little dot printing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bunch of people call them Bende dots. Uh, they're not quite, but they're basically that. Fundamentally, if you think about how the like the Roy Lichtenstein uh, paintings are, where they've got those dot inkings, uh, it's that is that style. And what I thought was, oh, they're doing something very different from Green Lantern and Flash, and I love it. The reality of it was that I was looking at pages from a remaster. <laughs> so that got me thinking. First off, I looked at my graphic novel that I got from John uh, fr- of the Dark Phoenix saga, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's the sa- it's the same deal there. Uh, it was originally printed with dot printing. Uh, on the front page, on the credits list, it's got remastered by or reconstructed was the term that they used. Okay, well, mm. fair enough. But that got me looking at it because I started looking at the comics that were done with dot printing and the ones that were reconstructed. And specifically, it's not just the dots. There are some colors, specifically colors, that can get painted in as like a fill like paintbrush versus uh highly pixelated like dropping down the dots and the more that i looked at them and the more i did some reading it was fascinating to realize what an impact that had because there are certain colors that like it seems like there are six colors that you can have as fills and then everything else has to be that sort of stippled look that I'm not as big a fan of. There were decisions made all the time about what color to use based on that. Uh, the solid tones, uh, the fill colors seem to be like the colors and half colors of CMYK. Mm. Uh, cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. Uh, and then the half colors there are the traditional primary colors of red, green, and dark blue. And it seems like... I don't fully understand it but they could do those shades as fills and everything else any kind of gradient or any color other than that had to be in the dot printing and the fills i guess were cheaper uh because you could do them as a plate and just like oh fill in this section but they were less accurate so that's why we sometimes see like oh here's this patch of blue that's hovering like a quarter inch off this guy's uh costume and once I started looking at it from that perspective, that's why so much of the art from this era has those Technicolor weird colors. Because the cheapest uh, colors to do fills in were those bright uh, cyan, yellow, magenta colors or the dark red, green, red, blue, green. The blue outfits of the Fantastic Four are cyan. Batman's cape, cyan. Robin is yellow, red, and green. The Challengers of the Unknown are magenta. The yellow narrative box is probably yellow because Mm. it's a color that can be a fill and then it looks good with the black text over it. And that just blew my damn mind. Now I don't, I can't unsee it. It's I'm looking and it's like, (laughs) Oh yeah, these colors are probably chosen 
for that. And especially in an era where uh, these comics are selling themselves based on their price. Uh, specifically, like there was like a year-long period that we covered where DC Comics had an advertisement of like still 10 cents when I think Dell had gone to 15 cents and basically like sunk their market position forever as a result. Uh, being able to do things cheaply was so important that these color choices that would be legacy objects, these characters that are being established now are going to be that way all the way to the present day in large part. And it's being decided because it's slightly cheaper. Just blew my mind a little bit. Of course, it makes perfect sense, but like, wow. All right. Uh, as far as recommendations go for me, I am doing my customary rewatch of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited off the DC Universe app. Um, God, those are good shows. Really solid writing. I mean, I remember them not being as mature as Young Justice seasons one and two were. Um, but they do have some elements in there that are, are surprisingly adult in theme and not in content um, that make me wonder, like, were they, did they have the foresight enough to know that this was also being watched by parents or just even adults back when those, com- when those shows were coming out? So, I mean, they're, they're worth a watch. So very fun. So very good. Very much of their time based off of who's on what team. Justice League Unlimited is great because there's so many characters. Their their introduction of the question is always my favorite, where he's always like, he's got this conspiracy theory map in his room that has to do with like big oil and boy bands in Korea, and it's 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 great. It's one of the best episodes with him, Supergirl, and Green Arrow. It's it's an amazing episode. It's so fun. On my end, um, mostly I've been doing the same things, so I can definitely recommend the fourth anniversary event that. Dragon Ball Dokkan Battle is doing, but what I'm actually going to recommend, I've, I'm a couple hours into uh, Outer Wilds. It is very not handholdy. For those who haven't heard about it, it's a uh, exploration adventure puzzle solving game, I guess. Uh, more heavier on the expl- exploration side. It's, I mean, like Mist is sort of the logical comparison. Uh, set in a sci-fi like solar system and it has a time loop mechanic uh that's not a spoiler uh it shows up within the first little while uh but there really isn't hand holding so it's like i'm in the Hmm. phase where i'm still just exploring randomly and writing down everything i don't know like not having clear signposts for games is something that is usually a turnoff for me but so far i'm enjoying it we'll see but it's certainly been really well received by a lot of publications that I read. So, yeah, I mean, it's like 20 bucks, 25 bucks, somewhere in there. Cool. All right. That will do it for us for this episode with Green Lantern. Next episode, everybody, get ready for some multiversity. Um, not the multiversity event or comic of that name, but very much multiverseness with the Scarlet Speedster. And then we're back to Justice League and the implications thereof regarding the multiverse and what that means. So we're excited to see that and we'll see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
Dealing with the Quardians and Sinestro showed us that dimension hopping was becoming more prevalent. Just as we had finished up, Hal's ring gave him an alert that another dimensional incident had occurred, this time in Central City. We knew that could mean only one thing, that the Scarlet Speedster had a visitor.